Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes fils et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. Now, on this podcast and past episodes, we have mentioned that there have been a number of developments as this project has gone along that's just been like really awesome for us and one of the ones we've talked about uh, is the outreach outreach excuse me we have received from quebec and mike and i really get excited every time uh, we hear from somebody from quebec but another really fun development has been the number of suggestions we get for guests uh for the podcast and this week's guest was one such suggestion i received word that there was a historian who's been researching and writing about performers from quebec and who I'm sorry, performers from Quebec who toured New England during the 1930s through the 1950s. And of course, I was immediately interested. So our guest today, Pierre Lavoie, PhD. What's going on, sir? PhD in history, University of Montreal. His thesis was titled Mile After Mile, Mobility, Celebrity, and Memory of the Popular Artists After the Exodus. Pierre, welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Thank you for having me. Now, before we get going on your research, uh, basically, what's your story? Where are you from, and how did it come about that you wrote about performers from Quebec from the, 30, from the 30s and 50, to 50s who uh, toured New England? Uh, I've been living in Montreal for the past 14 years, but I'm from a small town in Bas-Saint-Laurent, which is the eastern part of Quebec province. Uh, my little town's called Lille-Verte. <laughs> and actually, a lot of people uh, from this region uh, migrated to New England at the, oh, end really? of the, yeah, at the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th. Uh, in both my mother's and father's family, they, they have uh, mon oncle and ma tante. Ah, I love that. Yeah, the States, too. yeah, exactly. And so uh, this was part of my imaginary. I, I knew about that, but uh, I was quite surprised when I, I began my, my researches. Uh, I, w- I was mostly interested uh, about francophone popular music. So okay. mostly, mostly in Quebec, but sure. the, um, the professor I was working with, uh, Bruno Ramirez, is a specialist of uh, North American migrations. I, I, went, I went across some information about tours in New England, and I was quite, quite not skeptical, but I, I, I didn't heard about that before. So right. uh, I began looking more uh, carefully uh, at those topics, and uh, I, I just found that there was a, a huge connection between Quebec and uh, New England. Not, not only between uh, during the period of the migration, but after also. So during the, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s. Sure. And yeah, so that's, that's a bit a part of my, my, my family history, but it's mostly my, my academic uh, researchers that, that pushed me in that direction. That's very awesome. Now, you mentioned that you're talking about the 30s through the 50s. Maybe you could like set the scene for us to begin with. I mean, you started in the 1930s, but what was the history of tradition music theater in Quebec leading up to the 1930s? Maybe yes. even before this. Mostly, uh, theater in Quebec uh, was an amateur practice uh, up until th- there were there there was a professional theater in Quebec sure. uh, at the end of the 19th century. But mostly uh, in Montreal and Quebec, American companies, American tour companies were coming with uh, with artists to 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 perform, and the the local scene was not that active that that um, that important at, the, at, at that time. 
from the, the end of the 19th century and the beginning of the, the, the 20th, there, there was a lot of artists, amateur and semi-professional artists that uh, decided to do tours uh, with, uh, they called that uh, Théâtre du Bon Français, so good French theater. Uh, artists like Paul Cazeneuve, uh, which was a, a French artist uh, based in Montreal, they decided to do tours in uh, the, the Franco-American centers of New England. Because they, they knew that in those cities, there were the, the, there was so many uh, French-speaking people. Uh, and in Quebec, if you go out of Montreal, Quebec, Sherbrooke, uh, Trois-Rivières at that time, there was not that much modern theaters. It was mostly like uh, uh, barn shows. Uh, okay. or, uh, like basement of, of church. Sure. Uh, and yeah, so that, that was kind of a development stage at that moment. From the 30s to the 50s, the difference is that burlesque artists, it's the comedy artists that decided to go on tour in New England. They were greatly popular in Montreal, but not considered as artists because they were doing popular shows. Gotcha. So they, they were they were considered uh, like vulgar. They were considered like they, they were not taken into account as artists by uh, cultural critiques in Montreal and everything. But when they went in New England, the cultural context was completely different because people were uh, were happy to have uh, francophone artists coming sure. there doing shows, and they 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 built a, a reputation uh, in New England that they weren't able to have in Montreal. So that, that was kind of appealing to them. And they began, uh, the, the first major artist of this period to, uh, to do those tours was uh, La Bolduc. I don't know if you heard about her. Yeah, it was, she was mentioned briefly on a podcast we had a few months ago, I, I believe. They were talking about that artist. Because uh, yeah. somebody, uh, one of our guests uh, contributed uh, like a song to like, it was like, a, I don't know if it was a documentary or it was a story about her. So that's how, okay. that's how I've come across her before. So uh, Mary Travers, which is uh, her real name, uh, was was uh, her surname was La Bolduc because her, her husband uh, was uh, Edouard Bolduc and her stage name was Madame Edouard Bolduc. And she began doing tours uh, in uh, 1934 in, uh, in New England. And the success they, they had there was so tremendous that they started coming again and again, season after season. And some years after, uh, Jean Grimaldi, which was his tour manager, uh, even when she, she stopped doing music and doing uh, theater shows, he decided to continue. And it's Jean Grimaldi, which was a, uh, a guy from uh, Cors Corsica. Corsica, okay. Corsica, yeah. So uh, he was a, a, a course uh, migrant and he decided to, to take uh, the tour company of uh, Marie Bolduc and he, he did shows with his uh, companies um, from the late 30s to the late 50s and at, at one point, it was it was really a, an industry because he was he was he had three or four tour uh, troops and they were going across New England all year long. Uh, they they had uh, they had uh, destinations uh, as far as Connecticut. Uh, they went to New York also, awesome. and New York City. Yeah, but mostly it was in like Fall River, sure. uh, Woonsocket, uh, Manchester, uh, right. uh, Nashville, those big Franco-American centers. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Now, oh, okay, that's really neat. Now, maybe you could set the stage. What would uh, what would one of these shows look like? Like, how many performers, and what kind of acts are we talking? I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm thinking 1930s. Again, my head goes to like kind of a vaudeville type thing, but obviously we uh -huh. have singers and stuff. So, what what did these performances look like? 
If I was an attendee of a show, what could I have expected to see? <laughs> uh, it depends on the period. Uh, at the beginning with uh, the, the Marie Bolduc troupe, uh, it was a bit different because she was uh, hailing from the, the Veillée des bons vieux temps scene in Montreal. Because th there's a, a thing I, I, I might have to explain is that uh, if you look at the, the history of country music in the States, sure. So the way that developed in the 20s and 30s, at the beginning of the Grand Ole uh, the barn dance shows and everything, we had quite a similar thing in Quebec uh, that was called Veillée du bon vieux temps. Most people now think about these shows as folkloric shows, but they were not <laughs> that much folkloric. They were more vaudeville uh, performances. Gotcha. So vaudeville shows with uh, comedies, with uh, small uh, dramatic <laughs> plays, uh, that were th there were some uh, some uh, little pause when uh, singers came on stage and did their their number two. At one point, uh, you can uh, uh, there were also like numbers of a strong man or a, a champion <laughs> dancer or yeah. So you get you get the scene. And uh, so at the beginning, mostly the promotion was made around the 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 idea of the good old time. So that was that was the frame. Sure. We, we're doing a comedy show, uh, a song show, but in the context of the good old times. So people were kind of mimicking uh, the ways of living in rural Quebec back in the, the 19th century. Uh, so it, it was not like a, a way to, to, uh, to give homage to the past as much as a way to uh, take uh, take account of it, but to to put it in a, a, a comedic way and a, in an entertaining way. Sure. And after that, when Jean Grimaldi uh, took the part at the end of the 30s, he was much more of a businessman than Mary Travers, than La Bolduc, and he uh, he had the idea that people uh, down in, in New England they they were more interested. Uh, with the burlesque theater or the vaudeville theater or the comedian, then with the good old time uh, thing. So he began to put the, put the accent more on uh, artists like Olivier Guimont. Uh, his stage name was Tizoun, and he was like a big, big, big star in Montreal and in New England. You see in uh, uh, the, the Francophone newspaper of the late 30s uh, and early 40s, he was a, a huge star in New England also. And so the, the, the troops uh, at the time of uh, Mary Travers, they were, there were maybe about eight, ten artists in the troupe. Okay. But at some, at some point uh, during uh, the, the 40s, Jean Grimaldi was touring with about 20, uh, 25 artists. So the troupe was... was wow. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was a big, 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 big troupe. And the one that, uh, that uh, was uh, starring um, Muriel Millard in uh, 41, 42, when they, they went uh, all the way down to New York City, uh, yeah, so they, they, they were traveling with a, a core of star artists, but they were also uh, making contact with artists at the different locations. So sometimes gotcha. they were 20 to travel, but that, at some time they, they were like five or six and they were uh, uh, working with people uh, uh, at the locations. Gotcha. And how, if you're like one of these performers, how many stops were typical at the time on a tour? Like you, you hear about performers now who go on tours that you know, last months and months and months yeah. and make stops basically every other day, especially, yeah. you know, a lot of musicians just starting out. And I'm told that's kind of like their life. Uh, yeah. Was that similar <laughs> here where you basically you go from place to place playing at a show almost every evening? Yeah. And, and they were uh, actually at the beginning, the, the first shows that Mary Travers did um, in 1934, maybe she did about 20, 25 shows and they were always doing uh, comebacks. 
So oh, okay. when MCD was doing well, they came back uh, That's awesome. on their way back to, to Montreal. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 I found some evidences that the tours of uh, the, the early 1940s, they did more than 50 uh, towns or cities. Oh, wow. And for a span of about three months. That's awesome. Yeah, and after that, at the end of the 40s, the difference is that there were uh, fewer uh, destinations in one tour, but the, the Jean Grimaldi troops were touring all year long. So he had, like I said before, he had three or four troops and they were just doing that all year long. So during the winter, they were, uh, uh, they were doing like the, the, gold, the good old time shows. Sure. At the, um, uh, during spring, around, the, around the Easter season, they were doing more uh, uh, Christian dramas. Okay. And during, uh, at the end of the summer and during fall, they were doing more comedies and burlesque uh, skits. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, I'm curious if we know a lot about who the crowd was that attended these kind of events. Like, uh, first of all, what kind of numbers are we talking about? Uh, but then on top of that, like, are we talking all kinds of social status? Uh, are we talking a mix of genders? Like, who yeah. was it that was attending these events? Uh, that's always the problem when you, you're studying uh, pop culture. It's difficult to know the, the real composition of the public because most of those people didn't write, didn't left any kind of trace. Uh, what we can know if we like uh, extrapolate from what we know in Quebec is that it was really a mixed audience uh, in, in a lot of ways. So gender mixed and also a social mix. So th there were people from... Uh, even more in New England, because uh, often those shows were kind of social gatherings for francophones. So people sure. from the working class and people from the, the small uh, elite, uh, lots of people were, were, uh, were going there. One of the, the uh, interesting thing uh, that you, you, you mentioned is the, the number of people that, that were attending these shows. Because right. like I said before, in Quebec, uh, Montreal had a lot of uh, modern and huge theaters. In Quebec City also, there were a lot of, uh, of theaters. But the tours that the artists did in Quebec mostly were in rural towns where right. they were doing shows outside in the basement of the church, uh, in a barn. Okay. So, but when they, they did their tour in New England, there were, there were so many places they could have access to modern facilities, to modern uh, theater. Uh, so uh, the numbers that I, that I uh, found in my researches is that in most cities, there were more than 500 people in each shows. That's and awesome. sometimes, sometimes up to 2,000. So that's, that's the thing that never happened in Quebec for the, those artists. Even in Montreal? Even in Montreal, because oh, wow. in Montreal, if you, if you look at uh, Mary Travers' uh, career or Jean Grimaldi's career, mostly they were playing in uh, movie, movie theaters, uh, in little venues. They were not playing in the huge real theater scenes in Montreal. Gotcha. But in New England, they had access to theaters. They had access also to uh, all the, 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 the um, social gatherings, uh, places of the Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste, the uh, CMCA, the, uh, the Association Canado-Américaine. So yep. there, were, th there was more option in New England than in Quebec at that time. That's awesome. Now, how did the public come to know who these performers were? Maybe you could talk about what the, what the media coverage looked like of, yeah. of these performers. That's one, of, that's one of the things that, that surprised me the, the, the most. When I, I was starting researching on, on Mary Travers, on La Bolduc, in Quebec, she has the reputation of being our first uh, pop star, our right. first uh, pop singer. 
But I was looking in La Presse, in Le Devoir, in Montreal's newspaper, and she's almost absent of, of these, uh, these publications. She's not there. Wow. There are some like little publicities, advertising, uh, sure. but not that much. But when I went uh, through her uh, archive, archival documentation about New England, sure. every city had a newspaper. Right, so oh, absolutely. When, Absolutely. So even in the 30s, because when you look at, at the uh, historiography, most of people say, OK, so during the 30s and 40s, uh, news, a francophone newspaper in New England kind of disappeared slowly and everything. Sure. But from what I saw, uh, they were active, they were present. Uh, mostly they were on a weekly basis, not on a daily basis. Right, but right, still, right. still, they were doing sure. publicities. And what's interesting is that uh, in New England, not only uh, were there adver uh, advertisements for uh, discs, uh, for uh, livrets de chansons, so uh, like, um, uh, like little books with the, the, the lyrics in it. Okay, so yeah. th there were publicities and advertisements for products, but also when uh, people knew that uh, La Bolduc was coming, when people knew that Jean Grimaldi was coming, they, uh, they put complete papers and complete pages about the shows in their newspaper. So there'd so be giant ads in the paper. Giant ads and not that's only awesome. ads, critics. Oh, awesome. That, that's one of the main difference because in Quebec, as I said, they were not considered as artists or cultural critics back in Montreal. They were not paying attention to those artists. But in New England, you can see, you can, you can see the difference in, uh, between articles that are uh, communicatrices. Uh, I don't know how to say that in English, but like uh, texts that, uh, that were sent by the, the promoter. Gotcha. To, to do advertisement, sure, and you, sure. can, you, can, you can see the difference between that and the critiques. There were critics of the show, so uh, I can think about some some papers in um, in Woonsocket, uh, in uh, Biddeford. In some places, there were complete columns describing the show, saying, "Oh, this artist uh, uh, Albertine Villeneuve was uh, quite entertaining." Is uh, in her number about uh, da 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 da. So, <laughs> so you awesome. see, they, they were paying attention. They were giving uh, importance to the to those shows and to those artists, and they were considering them as artists. So to to answer uh, maybe more broadly your question, um, people had uh, access to the uh, the fame of these artists in Montreal by the newspaper, by the discs. By radio also, because at that time there were uh, partnerships between uh, Montreal radio station and uh, American networks, sure. like CBS and everything. So yeah. uh, some stations in Lewiston, in, in some other cities, they were broadcasting shows from Montreal. That's awesome. Uh, in, their, in their radio station. So the people in New England had access to about the same kind of uh, uh, cultural products as people in Montreal, in a sense. That's awesome. Now, I'm curious because how much, I guess, uh, effort, focus these artists really did uh, as far as portraying an image that contributed to what we talk about in the surveillance. Mm -hmm. That's obviously a major deal here at the time. Yep. Like the, the people who are now we're talking maybe one, two generations removed yep. from the original immigrants, but they're holding on real tight. Yep. Uh, to that French-Canadian identity. And now here some singers are coming in. I'm curious kind of what their role is, the image they portrayed to these people who were fighting that fight of Le Surveillance. Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's actually at the core of what I'm, I'm studying because I'm, I'm studying music and theater and everything, but mostly I'm, I'm interested in uh, identification, collective sure. identification. And one of the things that's interesting is that, uh, I don't know if you uh, went across uh, Yves Robbie. Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. Historian, yeah. Quebec historian. Yeah. 
Yeah. He, he has a way to describe the survivance in the 30s and even at the, the, during the 20s uh, around the sentinelist crisis and everything. He, yeah. he talks about uh, radicals and moderates of the survivance. Sure. So, and he's always uh, talking about the fact that all those people were influent. At sometimes they were rivals. At sometimes they were working together. And so, uh, the, the 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 shows that were coming in New England, they were not the typical uh, identity or national or uh, cultural promoted shows like La Bonne Chanson. I don't know if you heard about that, but at the end of the 30s and during the, the 40s, uh, L'Abbé Charles Gadebois in Quebec started a huge mediatic uh, operation called La Bonne Chanson, which was to promote the good songs of French, uh, for French Canadians. So not only folklore, but also new songs that, that uh, he and... Uh, uh, some of his partners uh, were writing, and they were promoting that in Quebec and in New England to uh, to promote la survivance, to directly promote la survivance. Sure. The, the difference with La Bolduc and Jean Grimaldi and all those artists is that they were not like politically active. They were not uh, like uh, they, they were not uh, working directly with la Société Saint Jean Baptiste or with uh, Association Canado Américaine. Right. But still. The difference is that in Montreal, they were considered as uh, Americanized because they were doing shows that were associated to the United States. They were doing vaudeville shows, burlesque shows, and they were considered mostly as Americanized. But when they uh, came to New England, when they came to New England, since they were doing shows in French, uh, since they were uh, oftentimes using uh, the uh, Société Saint-Jean-Baptiste uh, uh, facilities and, and, right. and partnerships, yeah. they were associated to La Survivance in a moderate way. So they were not like pushing a political or a, 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 a specific uh, cultural agenda, but since they were doing shows in French, it was a, a, a direct contribution to La Survivance. Sure. And what I, I, I was able to, to observe in my research is that uh, at the beginning of the period I, I was looking, so in the 30s, the difference is, is milder. It's, it's, it's quite uh, difficult to see the difference between um, a public that would consider those shows as a part of La Survivance effort and sure. the people that were just going there to have a good laugh. Right, right. But if you go further in the period, uh, during the 40s and during the 50s, it's more evident that all the promotion was uh, around the fact that it was not about the good old time. It was not about French Canada. It was about comedy in French. So the gotcha. two major aspects was comedy and French. And you can see kind of a switch in the collective ident identification uh, in some parts of New England at that time uh, around this kind of uh, occurrences in the, the media. Because... Uh, it, it, it's kind of obvious that people, even if in the 40s and 50s, the, the survivance uh, as a movement, as a political movement, was not as fierce as it was in the 20s and 30s, sure. still, pe still people oh, were, were glad to gather in French, no, to socialize absolutely. in French. So uh, to me, they had a, a huge importance in kind of a transition period uh, for francophones in New England because they, they gave uh, to those people opportunity to have a laugh, to, 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 uh, to meet people that, that spoke French and everything, sure. but not under kind of a, a militant umbrella, not under a political uh, charge uh, umbrella. Yeah. Sure. No, that's really, really neat. This entire story is awesome. 
Now, and you've alluded to it a few times, um, but obviously we're talking about a 20-plus year period. Uh, when did this start to decline? What eventually kind of led to the slowdown and stop of these tours? Uh, mostly it's um, after 1953-1954, Jean Grimaldi started uh, investing more time in his uh, theaters in Montreal. He bought two or three theaters uh, in a, during a five-year span, and he was putting all his energies in that. At, at, from the beginning of the, the 50s to the middle of the 50s, uh, mostly it was uh, his, uh, his wife, uh, Fernande Dalcourt that was managing the tours in New England. Sure. And so the, the answer to the reason why there was a decline is, is, is so multifactorial. Uh, you, you, can, you can say that there were less and less people uh, gathering and speaking in French in New England. That's one explanation. Uh, the other is that it's, uh, it's kind of uh, uh, simultaneous with the popularization of television also. So the... Gotcha. the, the the habits of people, the habits of entertainment of people were changing, sure. uh, regardless of the language. They, they right, were just right, changing. Right, right. So even in Quebec, uh, it's it's a known fact that uh, uh, from the the because uh, television in Quebec uh, was a bit uh, later than in the states. So Radio Canada, the first uh, Frank, uh, French uh, TV station, uh, started broadcasting in '52. Uh, so that's a, a bit later than in the states. But right. still, it's, it's kind of the same period and people, uh, the, the habits of people were changing and uh, lots of promoters and artists in Montreal at that time, uh, including Jean Grimaldi, uh, were kind of uh, upset about the, the advent of TV because less people were going to stage shows sure. since, since TV was, was more and more affordable and also Artists that uh, were uh, performing uh, in TV shows, when they came back to stage shows, they, they were asking for more money. Of course. Because now they're more famous. Yeah. And so, so to me, it's kind of a, it's a cultural thing. It's a mediatic uh, thing also. There, there's a lot of factors that, that, that did uh, the, the decline, that, 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 that pushed to the decline that we know. But uh, I find some evidences that shows were still, uh, tour were still happening at the, during the late 50s and even in the 60s. Oh, wow. Uh, Jean-Claude was not going, uh, he was not doing tours uh, in New England in the 60s, but I found some evidences of shows of uh, Willy Lamotte which was a really famous country artist in Quebec. And I found, I found evidences of shows uh, in Maine at the end of the 60s also. But sure. if, you go, if you go after the 60s, it's mostly, um, it's mostly linked with the ethnic revival. Uh, it's yeah. mostly linked with the, the, the folkloric festivals. Sure. So from the 30s to the 60s, you see, quote unquote, real popular artists from Quebec. Yeah. Uh, popular artists in the sense that they were doing vaudeville, burlesque, country music and everything. Uh, but after the 60s, mostly uh, artists coming from Quebec to New England, they, they're more associated to music traditionnel, so folkloric music. Gotcha. Now, I'm just, I mean, just out of curiosity, um, did these groups tour other places? Like, did they go to English Canada? Like what we would consider English Canada? Did they go to like... Uh... Europe at all, or is no. <laughs> was a lot of these tours just basically like, no, we're just going to go to New England because we know there's a whole lot of French Canadians ahead down there. Actually, that that's a good question because uh, it gives me the opportunity to 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 introduce a concept. 
I'm using a concept in my thesis, which is, <laughs> which is uh, the fact that uh, um, at some point, so there were a, a transnational space, including New England, including Quebec, but also including uh, some places in the Canadian Maritimes. So uh, New Brunswick, also the eastern and northern part of uh, Ontario, uh, there were a lot of francophones uh, there. So most of these tour shows, they were touring. Uh, these parts of Ontario, these parts of New Brunswick, and these parts of New England, where there were francophones. That's the main thing. Gotcha. So they were not they were not limited uh, to uh, to Quebec or to New England. They they were just looking for francophone audiences. That's awesome. Uh, but mostly, since they were uh, popular artists with not much uh, means of production, uh, none of them went to Europe. Uh, that, that's a big difference. I talk about that a bit in my thesis, but that's one of the big differences between uh, high culture and low culture at that time. Because if you go back to the the, the aesthetic uh, hierarchies of the 30s and the 40s, they were much more distinct than they are now. Uh, nowadays, it's, it's normal to see someone from the elites wearing jeans and listening to hip hop. Sure. Back then, that was that was not the case. So people that were associated to high culture, they tended to uh, to go uh, uh, see classical music shows, to see uh, gotcha. classical theater, to sure. uh, to, to read uh, classical literature. So people from the working classes and uh, the the growing middle classes at that time, they were more uh, going to popular shows, vaudeville shows, and everything. And that's one of the differences. Artists that are associated with eyebrow culture, they were uh mostly oriented towards france towards france yeah they were they were doing uh uh like séjour de séjour d'apprentissage so they were they were going in, in in france to to develop their artistic abilities and to do shows and they liked to be associated to france and popular artists by for for a lot of reasons uh mostly for economical reasons they were not uh, attracted by europe they were mostly attracted by by the states and in to some extent it's uh you you can't draw uh comparisons like direct comparisons between um the cultural industries in the states at that time and the cultural industry the francophone cultural industries in montreal and in uh, this transnational space it's sure. It's so different. And, and even Montreal at that time was considered, and, and even now, uh, it's considered part of the, the, the natural uh, interior market for American artists. So it's like, it's like Montreal is another city in the States, in a sense, for, for the for the vaudeville. <laughs> for music purposes. Yeah. yeah, for music purposes, but also theater back, back in the... I'm sure. Back in the, 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 the 10s, the 20s, the 30s, um, Montreal was considered as, let's say, I don't know, Detroit, Chicago. Uh, well, Just but, another stop on the journey. Yeah, exactly. But to some extent, uh, the artists coming from Montreal to New England, they were using kind of the same, the same method, the same kind of, okay, we're, we're going to build a circuit and this circuit is part of our own market. Yep. Uh, they, they, it, That's it's, awesome. It's, it's kind so of, they didn't consider they didn't consider it a foreign market. No, that's amazing. That's awesome. Exactly, and and that's one of the things that surprised me when I was looking uh, across that is that they were not talking about these markets as uh, if they they actually it's it's, it's kind of complicated because when they had to they used their shows in the states to promote their celebrity their fame. They sure. were saying, oh. Uh, I did a show in New York City. I did a show in, in Woonsocket. I'm a big star in the States, not, not only in Canada, but in the States also. Right, right, of course. So they were using <laughs> that bit. 
Uh, even I, I'm thinking about uh, Olivier Guimont, uh, which I was talking a, a bit earlier, and he did a series of shows uh, in Detroit in the mid-20s, and he used that series of shows all through the 30s and the 40s to promote his shows in Montreal. So it, it was kind of a, a, a capital symbolic, so symbolical capital. They were using the states to promote their, their, their fame and their, their importance, their artistic importance in Montreal. But if you look at the way that they were practicing these tours, they were not considering them as foreign tours. They were considering awesome. them as part of their interior market, nothing more. I love that. That's very cool. Now, one question, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but it, it kept coming to me as I was getting ready for this interview. Um, was it, I was, I mean, I grew, I was baptized in a French church. French was yep. the first language of both my parents. So I've been yep. surrounded by the, the, that kind of story my entire life. I never heard of any of this. This is the first I hear of any of this. And so even though I was kind of grew up with it, I'm curious why, I mean, Manchester, especially giant, giant town for Franco-Americans. Yeah. Why don't we know that? Why aren't these stories told? Why, why are you the first uh, one to tell me this story? <laughs> there are so many reasons. Uh, one of them is that uh, since these practices, these cultural practices were not considered as artistic or important, people were not writing about them. Really? So that, that's always the, the thing with uh, collective memory and, and uh, heritage and uh, public heritage and everything. If you don't write about a thing, it doesn't exist for the next generation. And I, I think for, for more, most people from the, the 30s, 40s, 50s, it was kind of, um, uh, these artists were not uh, distant from them. They were like them. So in a sense, that, that was kind of, of normal that they were going to those shows. It, it was not an event, in a sense. It was kind of, as I said before, if you, we do the comparison with television, are we writing uh, in our memories, uh, our, our uh, I don't know, say the daily journal? We're not talking about every television show we see and everything. I think these shows were part of their their day-to-day -day life and were gotcha. not considered as event uh, eventful or uh, or that important. That's that's one thing. But to me, the the most important part is that uh, in New England, uh, they left little traces. That that's a reason why we don't talk about that much. Uh, so even if uh, French Canadian artists of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, even if they were not, uh, they, they didn't have roots in Montreal, they were playing all across Northeastern America. But during the Révolution Tranquille and after that, during the 70s and 80s, people that were writing their history and people that were writing their, their memory, uh, they started kind of, uh, I'm going to use a Deleuzian um, uh, lexicon, but they re-territorialized them. So they, they, they kind of associated them uh, closely to Quebec and not to French Canada and to uh, New England. Sure. So when that's one of the, the, the main point in my conclusion, uh, conclusion in my thesis is that in Quebec, we know Mary Travers, La Bolduc, like like I said, she was to, to most people she was our first star she was our first pop star but we think about her as a traditional french canadian from quebec a province living mm -hmm. in quebec province a good uh, uh, a good housewife a good mother <laughs> so we sure. associated her with uh, values that we project on these uh, decades gotcha. but if you look at the facts she was an entrepreneur. She was most of the time uh, out of Montreal. She was uh, she was not all of the time with her family. Uh, yeah. She 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 spent actually she even uh, lived in the states for a, a short period of time before a career. 
she she lived in uh, Springfield, Massachusetts, uh, cool. in 1921, 1922. Before before she was a singer. So uh, awesome. her and her husband, she, they they went down there to to work in the factories, and and when that's one of the reasons actually uh, why she came back to the states to do shows because she knew. She knew uh, the circuits of people that were there. She knew that oh, she could cool. she she could do contacts with those people, sure. and she she uh, she met other artists in Montreal that were also part of this kind of transnational migration. Lots of people were born in the states, back in Montreal, sure. or had lived a couple of years in the states and were back in Montreal. And all those people gathered in in in, in the same kind of uh, cultural milieus, and they they developed this idea of doing uh, American tours. Uh, as part of their interior markets, because they lived there, they knew people there. They, That's they, awesome. They knew th these conditions. Yeah. I mean, that really makes me wish I'd had the opportunity to talk to my grandparents about this. Yeah. This would have been this. This is right when they're. This is their wheelhouse. This is where they were going out and attending shows. So this is really cool. Now we can talk about these performers forever. Uh, but I did want to transition a little bit because uh, there's another topic that I find pretty interesting that I think yeah. you touched upon. And that is the view of Quebec, the way Quebec popular culture maybe uh, portrays us, meaning Franco yeah. Americans. Yeah. And, and I know you've written about that before. So maybe you can give us a perspective on, because honestly, I have no idea how Quebec popular <laughs> culture <laughs> portrays Franco Americans. So uh, maybe you can just give us a little bit of, you know, where this comes from. Yeah, uh, mostly I have to start with the fact that uh, it's surprising how little people in Quebec know about Franco Americans. There, there's not much that is said. It, recently, uh, th there are kind of periods where uh, the, the topic is, is more uh, discussed, uh, mostly by academics, sure. uh, sometimes, by, sometimes by artists, but mostly by academics. So uh, at the end of the 80s, 1980s, beginning of the 1990s, uh, there, were kind of, there, were, there was kind of a, um, a moment of interest uh, about Franco-American history. Sure. At the moment, also, because uh, uh, Americanity, Americanity is kind of an important topic in, in Quebec's culture at the moment. So there are, are also some artists that are uh, just touching a bit uh, the topic of, of uh, French-Canadian migrations and French-American sure. uh, history. But in the article that I wrote um, in Revue d'Histoire de l'Amérique Française, I tried to uh, do uh, the most uh, extensive research I could do about films and TV shows sure. uh, from 19, uh, 1949 to 1992 that were covering uh, the, the, the questions of uh, Franco-American history, French-Canadian migration, and French-Canadian identity in North America. So I was looking to those kind of, of, of topics, and sure. when I, I was kind of narrowing down to the topic of Franco-Americans, I was surprised how, how few uh, how few films and television shows were uh, giving any importance to the topic. Even if, as you know, and as uh, most of the the previous guests you had on your show, I listened to Patrick Lacroix's uh, show. You, you did uh, yeah, uh, excellent show by the way. Uh, and and <laughs> Patrick's and, awesome. Ah, he's awesome. And and by and even if we we know that uh, a majority of families in Quebec have to some extent uh, uh, relatives in in New England or in uh, in America, people didn't give that much uh, interest or importance in producing films and television. One of the examples that I have is uh, the first one I studied is Le Gros Bill, which was a popular movie uh, at the end of the the forties in Quebec at the time when. 
when there was not a, a big uh, cinema industry in Quebec. The, sure. It's one of the first few commercial films in Quebec. And Le Gros Bill in the movie is a French-Canadian born in Texas, not in New England, born in <laughs> okay. Texas, coming back to Quebec, uh, not knowing a word of French, uh, even if he, he, he's the first generation in the States. So the, the, the portrait is that if, if you go to the States, immediately you're assimilated. Immediately, you change. You're not the same. You, your sure. identity is changing. Uh, this movie was not at all interested in uh, the history of migration to New England and the real conditions of uh, Frank, French Canadian and Franco Americans. It was just kind, kind of a, a portrait of what French Canada was thinking about the states at the moment. Gotcha. Was thinking about the United States and about Americans. Yeah. Uh, when you go a bit uh, further, uh, the, the example that I. I, I gave the, the more thought uh, is um, Les Tisserands du Pouvoir. Uh, Les Tisserands du Pouvoir is a, 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 a two-part movie uh, from uh, Claude Fournier. I think it aired uh, first in uh, 1988. The movie was part of a kind of a, a cultural moment in Quebec because uh, if you look at the political history in Quebec, it's between the two referendums for independence Okay. It's it's sure. around the negotiation of the the Lac-Mitch, so some some uh, constitutional uh, problems were uh, happening in Quebec. So that was kind yeah. of a, a tricky period for a, a francophone identity, uh, even back in Quebec. And the angle that Claude Fournier took to talk about uh, Franco-American history, because he was interested in Franco-American history, presented the migration of a family, presented how industrials were using French Canadians and were uh, were kind of exploiting them, and sure. presented the conditions. Of, of life uh, down there, but the the angle that he took uh, to 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 look at this history is like if New England and Franco Americans and Franco American centers were kind of a dystopia uh, for uh, Quebec's future. So he was not kind of making the difference between uh, migrant communities and and uh, and and between uh, a province that was even at that moment at had uh, a lot that was protect protecting his language that uh, that had uh, uh, cultural and political elites and even economical sure. elites he was not doing the difference between Quebec and New England at all so it was just okay so that happened in one socket yeah. now it's going to happen in Quebec so we're so a giant warning in other words Exactly, exactly. So to me, that's kind of, I, I'm not saying that there's, there's no comparison at all that can be, that can be made. My, my problem about that, uh, when I looked at it with a historical perspective, is that it's kind of an uh, insensitive way to talk about Franco-Americans. In a sense, it's like saying, uh, you, Jesse, uh, you're, you're, you're from the past. Yeah, in, right. in a sense, it, it was like they were saying, oh, yeah, still some people are interested or, or speak French in New England, but nah, that's from the past. And, and when you look at the, the media coverage of the movies at the end of the 80s, it was the same. So people were doing kind of exotic visits in, in Woonsocket and Manchester and, and, and cities like that and, and were kind of surprised. Oh, people still sometimes speak in French there and kind, kind of in a colonial way. In kind of a gotcha. superior yep. way, yeah, yeah, and 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 I don't, I, I, I'm not insensitive to the the problematic of the moment. I can see where they were coming from, yeah, 
Uh, but when you look uh, at those uh, those issues with a, a historical perspective, it's it's difficult to to not see those uh, cultural production as kind of insensitive historically sure. and culturally. And because yeah. I, I remember, I think it's Robert Perrault who, who said in a, an article in uh, 2011. He said something like, uh, "People in Quebec are are talking about us like we're uh, dead people." Right. No, absolutely. We're, yeah. we're still there. You're yeah. still there. I'm talking Correct. to you at the moment. Yes, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, and, and, you got a so, podcast. <laughs> and, and so, uh, yeah, to me that, that the the coverage and, and I'm, I won't go in in uh, all uh, all uh, the examples I was studying in the article, but uh, from the perspective that I that I had uh, on these films and these TV production, first uh, they they were kind of projecting the fact that we know uh, so little about Franco-American history. They were, they were uh, representing the fact also that we can only look at Franco-American history by our lens, by yeah. our projections, and uh, in a sense that uh, if, we, if we want to integrate uh, this part of our, this important part of our history in, in our... Because historians know about Franco-Americans, historians sure. know about migration, but right. uh, general public, they, they mostly get their history from uh, movies, from uh, public history, so uh, from uh, uh, like plaques and from uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. commemorative tours and everything. Displays, so, sure. Yeah, yeah plates. And, and, and if, you, if, you, you're, if you're not able to put some of that sensitivity about what is uh, what is it to be a Franco-American now? What is it to be a Franco-American in, in different spans of, uh, of the 20th century? Absolutely, if people yeah. don't have access to that, it's difficult to not caricature the, your history. We can do this forever. This has been <laughs> super exciting. Obviously, I cannot thank you enough for coming on. If you ever write anything ever again, you have an open invitation to come back <laughs> to the French Canadian Legacy podcast. Again, Pierre Lavoie. First of all, before we go, how can somebody get your articles? If somebody wants to read on these things, where can they find them? Uh, um, most of them are accessible uh, on internet. So uh, the article that I wrote about uh, Franco-American history in Quebec's popular culture is uh, was published in La Revue d'Histoire d'Amérique Française uh, back in uh, 2018, and it's uh, it's free uh, online. You can you can uh, just uh, write Pierre Lavoie and uh, Franco uh, Franco American, and it, it, it's supposed to be one of the first things that <laughs> at the top. I we hope so. Probably like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and um, I, I'm I'm gonna try to to publish my thesis also. Uh, maybe that's gonna come because I, I just submitted it uh, at the end of September. I'm I'm still waiting for the defense, but after that, I'm gonna try <laughs> to publish it. Maybe I'm gonna be able to publish it in English too. I would be. Uh, that that's would gonna be, be my next question because I know I'm gonna get that question: Is do you have anything that's in English? No, not at the time. But <laughs> I'm starting uh, in January. I'm starting a postdoctoral fellowship at Yale uh, University. So very I'm, nice. Yeah, I'm gonna start uh, writing and and uh, doing more things in English. So that's good to that's good for me because uh, as you can hear, my my. Uh, my English uh, speaking is not a... <laughs> you're going to have to be careful. You're going to become a New Englander just like us. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm going to cheer for the Boston Bruins after that. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. That's a good move. I like that. Well, thank you very much, Pierre. This has been awesome. You, Jesse. Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Each of us must choose how much to keep alive.
Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.